Do you like mysteries? I tend to gravitate to them if I watch TV, especially British mysteries for whatever reason. I saw one not too long ago that was set on a ship that was sailing down the Nile, which added another layer of interest or meaning. Because that can be used as a literary device to indicate a journey that this group is making through life. It's life's journey. And not only that, but the interior journey of each individual is also indicated or can be with that voyage, with that journey. The Catholic liturgy is a type of mystery. And the veil on that mystery, the meaning of it, is lifted in various ways with clues and with movements. Just take the entrance antiphon, for example. Every Mass has a particular entrance antiphon associated with it. You can see it in the, in the missal in your pew. Now, by itself, it's not altogether helpful. It's just like a sentence or maybe two sentences. But that sentence is typically linked with a psalm. So it's the entire psalm that's indicated, which provides the context for the entire Mass. Now, psalms are inspired, right? They're inspired words of God. The Jews pray them. Jesus prayed them. That inspiration of the psalms gave rise to a way of singing from which our chant originated, which is the musical style that allows for easier meditation because we kind of linger on the words just a little bit, like in the responsorial psalm. The entrance antiphon for this Mass is Psalm 106. Psalm 106 recalls the Exodus. Well, there's the context that's set for us. The Exodus was what? A journey, was it not? And how long did that journey take? A generation, a lifetime. The context of the Mass is set as our life's journey. So it recalls the Exodus, and Psalm 106 emphasizes God's love and fidelity as well as Israel's ingratitude and infidelity. They rebelled at the Red Sea, and God delivered them. They believed in God and then forgot him. God provided for them, and they complained. It begins to feel eerily familiar, does it not, to our own spiritual lives at times, complaining, forgetting about him. Moses ascended the mountain, received the commandments, and descended only to find that they had made a golden calf and worshipped it. They settled in the promised land but lost it and were exiled because the land was to be the space in which the Jews could be with God unmolested, unhindered to live out his commandments and be a light to the nations. So it's at this point that a cry echoes forth, which is our antiphon, save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and make it our glory to praise you. I mean, you just hear the psalmist crying out, we're experiencing the poverty, the depravity of our choices to live apart from you, God, help us. Which for many may also sound familiar in our day and place of forgetting God, not giving him space, and then reaping the sad benefits, the unfortunate effects of that. Now, it's fascinating how this attempt to create space for God to dwell with man in the land was anticipated in the creation of the tabernacle, the tent, during the Exodus. The Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, describes two acts of creation. 
The first act is God's creation of all that is, of the universe. The second act is the Israelites' creation of the meeting tent, the tabernacle, according to his plan during the Exodus, in which God's mysterious presence descended upon it and became visible. Now, if you set these two accounts next to each other, the key words in both accounts are identical. So the effect is clear. God created all that is for human beings to live in harmony with him. This harmony was broken to reestablish it. God is not doing it on his own. He requires the participation of human beings to create a space in which he might dwell with them once again. A Jewish professor put it this way. He said that the point of the construction of the tabernacle was for the Israelites to open up a space in order to allow God to fill it. And this is the most basic principle of our way, to open up such a space in our lives and in our hearts. Then such a space will have the capacity to radiate outward. And it was quite proper that the people be the ones to build God's dwelling, because this is the way it always must be. The people create the space, and then God can fill it. Now, that seems quite relevant to us, does it not? A space for a church structure makes sense if it's a reflection of the space we make for God interiorly. If it's not, then the external space is eventually lost, as is happening with parishes throughout our country. Just read a study this past week that highlighted the percentage of Catholics who participate weekly at Mass. What would you guess that percentage is that participate weekly at Mass? This is of Catholics that participate weekly at Mass. 17% of Catholics participate weekly at Mass. This is down about five percentage points from the pandemic. Without an interior space open to God, exterior spaces collapse. Which brings us back to the antiphon and another clue the symbolism of the priest and his movements. Among other things, the priest represents the followers of Jesus, you, as he processes forward in the context of what story again? The Exodus. Well, here the priest is an image of our journey through this life. He ascends the mountain as Moses did and later as did Jesus and the crowds. With the priest, everyone follows interiorly, listens to the word of God, which if enacted, creates a blessed space in which, in which you might live in peace, unhindered. Then having made space for God's word, you with your whole person make your way to the mountain to receive him in whom the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. Your communion foreshadows your exodus at the end of your life and is the source of the radiance that shines forth through you in the midst of nations devoid of that space, which makes for true blessedness.